Welcome to Trauma Talk. This program encourages you to do a mental assessment of any trauma you have experienced and help you become proactive in your own personal healing and thereby create a better world for you and your loved ones to live and thrive in. Now, here is the host of Trauma Talk, Ezrina Rose Scott. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Trauma Talk. Thank you for tuning in. Here with me today is the wonderful Kirsten Vinji. Welcome, Kirsten. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So, Kirsten is a registered physiotherapist and a registered clinical counselor. Kirsten, tell us how you came to have both designations. Well, I've been a physiotherapist since 1984 and uh, always done unusual practices. I've been doing craniosacral for 20 years, visceral manipulation for about the same. And I was always super curious about um, what was stored in the body and Mm. what people would experience in their treatment sessions. And later on in life, when I was about 50, I was um, just reading this article online and I thought, and I think it was more about spirituality and the body. But I thought, you know, if I could study that, I would be so excited. And suddenly I was on this website for Pacifica Graduate Institute. And less than four months later, I was sitting in a classroom at at Pacifica doing my master's in counseling psychology. It was an emphasis in depth psychology, which is about the unconscious. And the unconscious is often stored in the soma or in the body. So I feel like I kind of did this 360 degree circle and came back to to the body and the importance of the body and how much our body is always making meaning and and speaking to us, really. Mm -hmm. And I say to my clients, uh, your body is always speaking to you. The problem sometimes is, is that you're not listening. We're not listening to what our body is saying. So what do you see show up in people's body, bodies? Well, I think that now that I'm primarily, I'm focused a lot on the autonomic nervous system. So I'm very curious about how um, the sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system are working together for to kind of create good, healthy self-regulation in a person's system. Those obviously aren't the people that I see clinically. So I see people that um, have all sorts of dysregulation in their autonomic nervous system. Um, In particular, I'll just give you an example. Mm -hmm. For instance, I work with a lot of people that were premature infants or didn't have a good start very early on in their infancy. And so as now that they're into their adulthood, They can have, in fact, very unusual neurological symptoms. They can look like they have MS or Lyme's disease or um, even dystonia. And medically, um, the tests will all come back negative. Mm -hmm. But you will see, I will see changes in their physiology. What sort of changes do you see? Well, for instance, I see an inability to really move into um, what we would call the rest and digest of the parasympathetic nervous system. So an inability to really come into a place where 
growth and restoration and homeostasis and health can happen. So when someone has a healthy nervous system, they can go into the rest and digest. When they don't have a healthy nervous system or an overactive nervous system or an overwhelmed nervous system, would you say? That's when it kicks into the sympathetic nervous system? Like, tell me a little yeah, bit more about Yeah, I this. mean, you, I don't want to talk too much about the, um, we talked about polyvagal theory and, and Porges is a great resource there to kind of find out a little bit more. But what you typically see when they can't move into that homeostasis or rest and digest is that they've always been functioning under some sort of stress physiology. So there's um, more cortisol, adrenaline always running through the system. And that takes a toll. So many of these people have never really been on a good track right from the get-go. They don't, so when they get injured or they have some sort of trauma happen, they don't have that sense of where they're returning to because they've never really had good health and homeostasis in their system. So you will see stress physiology either in a sympathetic kind of way where you've got a lot of, um, you could say a lot of gas in the, a lot of, um, it's almost like their foot's on the gas and there's no break in the system. But you also see things like the system shutting down and being more depressed, like a chronic fatigue or... um, Adrenal fatigue. Yeah, that sort of thing. You could also see that. But there's been a big load, a lot of wear and tear on that system over time. Okay. Yeah. And, and And it wears and tears on the body. It creates a fatigue. What is it that you do specifically that allows some of this to be released from the body. Like, describe what you do exactly okay. and how it works. Okay. Well, the foundation of my work is out of Peter Levine's work. So I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner. And somatic experiencing practitioners, um, they help you to sense, to get a, um, a feeling for the sensations in your body. So that you can notice when you're in getting activated, when there's a little bit more energy in your system, and when you're deactivating, kind of coming down off a cycle. And um, many psychotherapists use this um, practice, but a lot more body workers are also using it. So you would simply sit with somebody, keep them within their window of tolerance and kind of move, watch their physiology and sense their physiology to help them move through levels, move through activation, deactivation cycles so that they decrease the um, kind of the held survival energy in their system and they have more of that energy available for good, healthy cell functioning. So are you saying when the sympathetic nervous system is overused, there are their energy is being used, secreting adren- um, the adrenaline and cortisol. When, when that dissipates out of the body, they have energy to use elsewhere? What I'm saying is that, they, um, that they, when you work with them and move through these activation-deactivation cycles within their window of tolerance, then there won't be that same secretion of cortisol and adrenaline that you will start to eventually get um, that 
into that rest and digest of the parasympathetic nervous system and you won't have those hormones driving Mm -hmm. the cortisol and adrenaline kind of driving the system okay and then the body just naturally responds to the the rest and digest i'm thinking of when i first came to see you Mm -hmm. and the first session uh you had put your hands on my kidneys and I was overwhelmed with emotion. Mm. What was going on there? Like, what was my body communicating to you? Right. So, my the foundation of my training is somatic experiencing. But two of the teachers that I've studied with are Kathy Kane and Steve Terrell. I'll just mention their book, Nurturing Resilience, is just hitting the shelves this week, I think. So it's pretty cool that I'm sitting here talking to you because they're both brilliant um, clinicians and and they really know um, their stuff as far as brain structure and the neuroendocrine system. So it will be well grounded in science and research. So Peter Levine's work um, informs my practice, and I do a lot of his somatic experiencing. And then Kathy Kane and Steve Trell's work is the hands-on work. Um, And yes, we often start at the kidney adrenal as a place to build some, what we would call, co-regulation. So when you're an infant and you're um, stressed, Often you don't have the ability to kind of soothe yourself. Your mother's nervous system is there to help you um, to soothe and downregulate, to find a place of calm. But if my mother's nervous system is compromised, does that affect my nervous system? That's right. That's Uh, right. Okay. So you won't be able to, so the infant probably will not be able to find that place of kind of coming down out of the activation, right? Oh, okay. So when I see a um, client or a patient and I'm putting my hands on their kidney adrenal system, I'm we're communicating with each other. That's the co-part between That's you right. and I. Okay. So it's not just me. I'm, I'm kind of hanging out with your system, but I'm feeling how is this system responding to me? How tight are things around the kidney adrenal area? Um, you know, how... How responsive is this area? Um, I'll start to feel it coming more into my hands. I'll start to feel it warming up, a little bit more circulation. I might almost feel like you're acknowledging me and I'm acknowledging you in a somatic touch sort of way. Um, I might even sense that you're, you're kind of moving away from me. And um, is that it, a safety mechanism or a survival mechanism the body's going through? It might be. And I might just stay there and just wait to see what you do and kind of just hang out and say, I'm still here if you want to come back, you know, because that's what a mother often does when it's teaching its, its child, when it's kind of developing secure attachment Um, Part of secure attachment would be that the child could go away and the mom would, you know, run off and play with a toy and then the child will look back and the mother will just smile and kind of go, yeah, it's all okay, you're fine, you're still safe, I'm protecting you, I'm looking out for you kind of thing. So it's like you're teaching the body that you're unconditionally present. (laughs) That's right. Okay, which is building a sense of safety somatically. Would you say? Absolutely. Yeah. So 
Yeah, so we're really working with the neurophysiology and sensing what is happening somatically in the system, not just through my hands, but I'm watching the person's response and looking. And they're sometimes they're telling me, but if you think of our earliest beginnings, really, we are nonverbal. Mm-hmm. We're feeling everything somatically and we're feeling everything through our senses. So our primary communication is through touch and eye gaze. So, yeah, so we're building, we're sort of rebuilding that foundation of the autonomic nervous system. And that sounds like a bit of a stretch, and the research isn't, hasn't quite caught up with us, but that's where we're headed. Okay. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit more about this, about touch, the importance of touch the felt uh, sense of safety, what what that does for an infant, a baby, and how it uh, develops, helps develop a healthy nervous system. Well, we have what Stephen Porges would call the sixth sense, really, which is interoception, how we're sensing everything from the inside and how we know everything's okay in a way. We get a lot of information from our organs and from our joints and from our muscle tension and that's all going up to the brain and we're interpreting it and then you know then the feedback system there's um, nerves that are coming back to the body from from there as well and um, so touch I mean it's extremely important and I think even as a physiotherapist sometimes people come in just assuming they will be touched And yet there are some systems that really you go and engage with, with touch and you're, uh, you know, being inviting and trying to be as safe as you can be. And yet the system is still contracting away from you. So sometimes there are different things that need to be built in before you can actually be touching the person. And I think that a lot of us are often overriding that sense of whether or not we want to be touched in, you know, in many situations. We're not kind of paying attention to the inner cues. Which can uh, perpetuate that lack of sense of safety, Mm -hmm. right, by overriding our system. So for me, uh, my system was overwhelmed. You, You did your technique. And how would you describe that how the emotion come up quickly and then it dissipates releases from my body well I think sometimes that you are just in a safe container for a moment so a lot of affect can start to move through oh okay so moving through awesome yeah okay a lot of the affect can move through and and um yeah so I would say that that is probably what happened in our experience together that just you started to sense into your system and what was there at the forefront was um, some emotion. Okay, and Uh, what happens in bodies when that energy doesn't move through? Well, I think that we can tolerate some of that, you know, we we obviously, we can tolerate a lot of that, right? A lot of emotion not moving through or experiences not moving through or things somatically, sensation-wise moving through. Um, but at some point along the way, often the container will get too full. And you, when <laughs> and you then say we'll container? Have I'm just talking body? of the body, yeah. yeah, as the container. And then you'll often have symptoms arise. 
Okay, so when it doesn't move through, does it freeze in the nervous system? Um, I'm not sure that I would use that language, okay. but um, survival energy does get held within the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Okay, and survival energy, including distress energy. Um, <laughs> see, the language that I use in, in therapy sometimes is different than yeah, the language we use. Yeah. So I'm just trying to connect them uh, together. Um, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in a moment. Great. Maybe we can explain that. Yeah. <laughs> your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Visit Ezrina.ca for information about counseling and body healing services. Ezrina is a master's therapeutic counselor registered with the Association of Cooperative Counseling Therapists of Canada. She has 10 years of counseling experience. She will work both in her office as well as via Skype or will travel to your area through her workshops. You can even schedule a session online. These sessions are one hour or 90 minutes long. Visit Ezrina.ca. Again, that's Ezrina.ca. Ezrina Rose Scott conducts several workshops every year, and she can bring them to you wherever you are. Visit Ezrina.ca or call 250-212-5596 for more information. Ezrina is an Access Consciousness Practitioner. Her popular workshops include Access Consciousness, The Bars, as well as workshops on money, body, and relationships. Ezrina's workshops can help you get unstuck and move forward in your life. Find out more or bring a friend along. Visit Ezrina.ca for more information or call 250-212-5596. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Trauma Talk with Ezrina Rose Scott. To reach our program today, you may call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, you can send it to Ezrina at Ezrina.ca. Now, let's return to Trauma Talk. All right. So we were talking about distress energy. And Kirsten, tell me a little bit more about what that means to you in your field. Well, I think what I'm understanding from you is that 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 sense of overwhelm, that physiology that we... You know, things are moving too fast, too quickly. We're not coping very well. We don't have a sense of peace or wholeness. Things are kind of driving the system. Mm -hmm. And that would be a physiology that's probably showing up 
most of the time internally, or at least it's cycling through many of the people that would come to see me, right? So that's probably, we might equate that to that stress physiology, you know, that's constantly running the show. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what, tell me more about what, uh, what shows up in, in the body when you're using somatic experiencing. Okay. So I'm talking more, a little bit more about somatic practice, which is okay. Kathy Kane's work. And then Steve Terrell and her went on to um, develop, um, really look at early development. Mm-hmm. And a lot of their techniques were around um, creating that embodied sense of safety, the co-regulation piece. So three areas that we look at typically are the kidney adrenals, the brainstem area, and the gut. And um, so in the brainstem often there's a, can often be in the people I see a sense of sort of hypervigilance or a real holding around the brainstem. And so even with touch and with contact and um, really with our attention, that can start to move through in a way that they can start to have deactivation cycles and start to have less hypervigilance in their system. So less hypervigilance in the system means an increased felt sense of safety. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what does a felt sense of safety look like? Like how does that show up for people? How do they know that they're developing more of that? Well, I think it's really interesting because often I will say to people when I'm working with them, I don't know how this is going to look when you leave the office. So when you start to decrease the activation and bring them closer into a place of rest and digest, even a little bit, you know, where they just don't have that push in their system or, yeah, let's just stick with that. It's a little bit easier to understand then all sorts of different things could start changing. Like they might start cooking for themselves a little bit more or enjoying someone's company or um, they might find that they have more energy to engage with other people. So there's just more energy available in the system for them to do life. Mm, okay. And I know for me, I had heard myself say more than I usually do is, oh, I trust this person. I trust this person. So for me, building that felt sense of safety was building trust. Do you see that with people? Yeah, that's that's really beautiful that you bring that up because you can imagine if from infancy, um, you haven't had that well-established, and I'm not saying that's the case with you, but very often when these pathways um, and that sense of that embodied interoceptive sense of being able to trust someone has never really been laid down, then the system's always on alert for not trusting. Everything is... You just can't trust. I mean, you know, and that's what you see, right? So you can see a totally neutral experience, but you would perceive it as, oh, I don't trust this person, or I don't trust this thing, or I don't, right? It right, changes because the I, perception. Yeah, and because you're getting that information 
from your internal self, like from your gut or from your brainstem or from all, I mean, you're really receiving it from all of you. You know? Yeah, and I, I'm going to speak to that because uh, I did have a sense of not feeling safe. Um, you know, I was rear-ended in a car accident and, and just not feeling safe. And and it, it's coming from a place where you sometimes can't put your finger on it. Mm-hmm. So it makes complete sense to me that it's coming from the gut or the brainstem, mm-hmm. the nervous system. We don't really actually know this. We can't cognitize it. We can't cognitively understand it, but it's there. Mm-hmm. It's present. And then when you see or feel or sense that shift, it's like looking at the world differently. Mm-hmm. Do you see that with mm-hmm. your clients frequently? Yeah, absolutely. And actually quicker than I would have expected, I think. You know, very often um, our teachers say this can be a bit of a long haul, you know, for for changing um with the touch work, especially if someone hasn't really been on the tracks of health from the very beginning. It's not like it's going to be six sessions and you're going to feel great. But I've noticed that my the people that I see, usually when I talk to them and explain the work, it makes sense to them right away. They say, yes, that's me. I'm coming in. And then with within two or three appointments, usually by the second appointment, once we've kind of, um, our bodies have gotten to know each other Mm -hmm. in a sense, um, the changes start to happen. And they're, in some ways, we're both surprised at how quickly it's, yeah, how How quickly quickly it's happening. Yeah. So uh, someone in childhood who experiences physical abuse or sexual abuse or what have you, who who received an inappropriate touch, how do you use this method of touch mm-hmm. with a body that has been violated? Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's another great question that, um, and I would say that sometimes, like in, even if somebody's had a motor vehicle accident, for instance, and, and uh, you go to, touch them but their reaction you know you can feel the fascia pull away or energetically you can feel the whole you know body move or yeah like don't touch yeah i don't yeah and you feel that um usually you'll go back in the history and and see that their boundaries have been ruptured or something has happened that um the sense of touch isn't a safe or comforting thing and then you have to work in different ways and build you have to build that. So typically, I wouldn't be touching that person initially. I'd be working a little bit more with boundaries and um, and even I, you know, it sound might sound funny, but they might be touching me first, or you know, like they. I would want to empower their system to have some um, some sense of control over the situation, and we would just work with it until we found a bridge, a way to. Because touch is an important part of human life. And trust me, that person is being touched repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And if their body's always having that response, um, yeah, it's not working in their best interest. Right. Yeah. And I just wanted, is it okay if I just mentioned the adverse childhood experience Actually, study? Actually, that's exactly right. where I was yeah. going to go next. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's a study that began in the 1990s. And they looked at 17,000 
people. Wow. And I don't know if they're still studying those people, but they have an average age of 57, about, you know, 50% women, 50% men. And they were um, not just Caucasian people either, but they asked them 10 questions around their childhood experiences. And these questions were um, usually around physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, could be emotional or physical neglect as well. Mm. I'll just give you one of the questions, for example. Uh, Did a parent or other adult in the household often swear at you, insult you, put you down, or humiliate you, or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? Well, if you answer yes to that, you get one point, right? And there's 10 questions. So getting points is not a good thing. No, it's not. (laughs) You do not want to get points. Yeah. Yeah. And when you get points and you only need one or two points, and right away you start to increase the incidence of cognitive, social, emotional um, difficulties, The chance of having addictive behaviors goes way up, risky drug behavior, suicide increases, and also chronic um, diseases. The incidence of chronic diseases, it's now been proven that that also increases. So you might have heart disease or diabetes or cancer. The incidence of those diseases also increases with adverse um, childhood experiences. What um, I feel like is neglected here is actually even the physical separation from mother or the mother's history of the nervous system or something that happened to the infant during birth Mm -hmm. that kind of separated the ability for the mother and infant to bond, you know, whether there was surgery or they were in ICU in the NICU or if there was, yeah. Yeah, anesthetic for sure, emergency C-section where the mother doesn't get to hold the infant afterwards. Those um, first few minutes can be really vital for the nervous system to find kind of home and that sense of being settled in an embodied way. So they're brought into this world with a challenge on their nervous system right from the start. Mm-hmm. And people aren't aware of how this affects, we're not aware how much this affects us, mm-hmm. how it affects our body. And would you say that it it shows up in adulthood more than, like children often aren't aware of the effects? Yeah, I think unfortunately more and more now we're seeing the children um, where it is showing up. Oh, okay. I mean, Steve Terrell works primarily with foster kids and and kids that have been adopted, you know, and so we might see things behaviorally, um, we might see things more as far as emotional dysregulation. I mean, there's different ways that it will will show up. Um, I also agree with you that children and people are super resilient and they can often cope with a lot and then further on in in adulthood you might have a motor vehicle accident or you might have some sort of relational challenge that really um, pushes you off the track and because you were never truly on the the track (laughs) it's really hard to find your way back um, from that place so 
So a motor vehicle accident or, or a fall, very disorienting fall, those things can really um, unravel. Yeah, unravel absolutely. everything back to birth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you work with children? I do work with children. Do you see a difference in the way their nervous system is compared to adults' nervous systems? Um, well, they can be a little bit more responsive, a little bit quicker to kind of um, come into co-regulation and um, a little bit faster to change and even hold the changes. I think the challenge with children is often it isn't just the child. It is kind of the, you know, it can be the mother and the father. And, you know, because with epigenetics, too, um, we're often, our nervous system is often reflective of the nervous system before ours and the nervous system before that one. And So and would you say it's an imprint or it's like a genetic imprint that we carry and and. If I take on the nervous system of my mother, how do I change that Mm -hmm. uh, so I prevent that from showing up in my children? Yeah. I guess I look at it because I'm probably the physiotherapist in me is looking at more from a physiological response. So I'm always thinking that as an embodied system, I am neurophysiologically responding to what's around me, whether it be my mother my child, you know, a friend, a stranger. And so it, it is like an imprint, but I'm more, um, more so saying that you're, we learn off of our mother's physiology. It's, you know, the brain we have. It's not just about mirror, mirror neurons, but our brain is being formed and our nervous system is responding in relationship to a physiological body that is caring for us. So if you work with a child and you change uh, the way their nervous system is responding to the environment and they go back to the Mm -hmm. environment of a parent Mm -hmm. that is overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. what does that do to the child? Well, I... (laughs) Any moment with a more regulated system is a good moment, but I would say I'm doing a disservice to the child not to also address things within the family. Right. So do you have this rule that if you work with a child, you work with the parent? Um, I don't have a rule around that. No. Do you encourage the parent to yeah. come and do that? Yeah, I would encourage the parent. Yeah, Because sure. when I work with children, sometimes I, I see the child is functioning better than the parent, yet the parent is bringing the child in as the problem. Mm-hmm. So when I ask the parent if I could work with them as well, as gently as I can, um, they decline and they insist that I work with the child, even though there is that what would you call that co-relationship? Mm-hmm. Like the parent is affecting the child and the child's nervous system. And that's mm-hmm. what you're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in a moment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. As Rena Rose Scott conducts several workshops every year, and she can bring them to you wherever you are. 
visit Ezrina.ca or call 250-212-5596 for more information. Ezrina is an Access Consciousness Practitioner. Her popular workshops include Access Consciousness, The Bars, as well as workshops on money, body, and relationships. Ezrina's workshops can help you get unstuck and move forward in your life. Find out more or bring a friend along. Visit Ezrina.ca for more information or call 250-212-5596. Visit Ezrina.ca for information about counseling and body healing services. Ezrina is a master's therapeutic counselor registered with the Association of Cooperative Counseling Therapists of Canada. She has 10 years of counseling experience. She will work both in her office as well as via Skype or will travel to your area through her workshops. You can even schedule a session online. These sessions are one hour or 90 minutes long. Visit Ezrina.ca. Again, that's Azrina.ca. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Trauma Talk with Ezrina Rose Scott. To reach our program today, you may call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, you can send it to Ezrina at Ezrina.ca. Now, let's return to Trauma Talk. All right, so Kirsten, tell us more about the defensive protective responses that you notice in the body. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Okay. If that's okay. Absolutely. Just again, from a physiotherapy perspective and from looking at people as um, wanting to empower a person to feel like their body is a resource for them and is a a strength and something that they can call on if they're in difficulty. You look for the protective defensive responses to kind of um, organize themselves and appear when you're treating people, whether that be a flight response, like the ability to run away, and that will actually arise organically within the system when you're working, or a fight response, which might look like kicking away as a defensive response or you might see a pushing away with the hands or a different kind of fight response that might move through the the upper body um so you're always looking for those organic um responses to move through that weren't able to move through during the traumatic experience now obviously when you're working when you think about infants, they don't have those available. So an infant doesn't have the same defensive responses that an adult does. And I'm not going to get into that, but there are certain things that you will see in an infant or in, in an adult when you're working kind of with a more 
infant sort of nervous system. Mm, okay. Sort of like an immature? Yeah, a younger. Yes. A younger. Yeah. A younger yeah. For instance, system. they often people don't have a lot of strength in their spine. They'll be more collapsed in their spine. Not always. Oh. And they might be trying to stabilize through their limbs a little bit more. Okay. Okay. So really the stability is supposed to come from the core and from the from the spine a little bit more and even um, I may go so far to say not that there's stability in the digestive system but kind of we you know we organize ourselves from the middle out so you want this middle kind of to notice that there's some integration and some coherence and that the the limbs are attached to that Um, I just want to speak to if I may just keep going a little bit yes please there are certain, there are diaphragms in the physical body that as somatic practice practitioners, we look at the pelvic diaphragm, the respiratory diaphragm, the thoracic shoulder diaphragm, and the cranial diaphragms. There are also the joints act as diaphragms, and there are different areas too that, that kind of contain experiences. Um, they can help contain affect. They can help us, yeah, they can help us to manage our experiences when an experience is too much. Okay. Okay? So when you move through a traumatic experience, you might kind of clamp down in your respiratory diaphragm. You may also kind of clamp down a little bit in the cranium. Everybody's different how they're going to respond. Mm -hmm. There's not a typical way. Okay. And so with the touch work, you're really looking to in a titrated way again, in a way that doesn't overwhelm the system. Bit by bit. Yeah, exactly. You want to... um, Like eating an elephant, bit (laughs) by bit. Exactly right. You want to gradually open up those diaphragms in a way that they're resonating with each other and letting things move through and have some good tone in them. So... In fact, a diaphragm could even be a little bit more collapsed and you want it to have a little bit more tone. So simply through your touch and just developed touch, um, you look for the system to just keep working more and more as an integrated system so that you're building coherence and that the person is getting this sense of an integrated whole. It, it sounds kind of strange, but sometimes when I watch people, it looks like their arms and their legs aren't even attached, that they're not, and, and it wouldn't it look like, that way, it wouldn't look that way to you. Right. You mean energetically or um, like it just doesn't look? I think it's just a felt sense in my body that kind of goes, oh, those arms don't look that useful right now, you know, and often as you work with that. Um, and the people are tracking their sensation, very often they don't have a good felt sense of their arms being attached. I'm just using this as an example. Yeah, so, so what It's does not that like mean? all my patients yeah. have unattached arms. Um, <laughs> you know, it would be different how that came about, but one of the ways that that might come about is that I have a fall, I couldn't get my arms out fast enough, and so my, I can't depend on my arms. Like I didn't get my arms out to brace. So the next time I fall, same thing happens. 
And eventually my body just kind of goes, oh, I don't think you have arms, you know. They're not working very well to protect you. Could you say that there's freeze energy in the arms? And that's what stops the arms from mobilizing? Um, Or is there freeze energy Well, not necessarily. I would just say that the... The fall, say it was a fall, happened too fast, mm-hmm. too quickly. And so the body wasn't able to organize itself in a way that those protective defensive responses were able to be engaged. I can't say whether or not there was a freeze or, oh, okay. you know, that's... Um, and yeah. what would stop the arms from doing that? Um, the speed of the fall... Maybe. Oh, I see. You okay. know, even just the speed of the fall. Or there might be some early developmental stuff, actually, that gets in the way. Yeah, that's of what I'm wondering. The, yeah, definitely. Okay. That could definitely be part of it. Um, I just want to say, is it okay if I say something to the listeners? Just that, you know, I've been a somatic experiencing practitioner now for just five years. I, I um, was doing self-regulation therapy before that, which is another really great uh, body of somatic work. And uh, somatic experiencing, I may have been doing a bit longer. And then Kathy Kane and Steve Trell's work, I've probably been doing for about the last three to five years. So really, I am, you know, fairly new to this to this work. And Kathy Kane and Steve Trell are are both true masters of the work. And I really just want to pay such respect both to them and what they're teaching um, psychotherapists and body workers um, what they're teaching about our bodies and what an incredible um, what an incredible masterpiece we have that we're you know that we inhabit really and how much flexibility and resilience is available even if you've had a hard beginning that these things can can change and then the nervous system responds to the right input and the right communication through through touch or through somatic experiencing um yeah through the tracking and what an amazing compliment uh to your physiotherapy work and the touch experience the somatic experiencing they complement each other very very well um I, i know there are some people that still believe that uh they're you know there's not uh, there's there's stuff that we don't know about ourselves. They they actually think that there's not a connection between the mind and the body and and all of this. And it still amazes me. Uh, we still have some information to disseminate mm. <laughs> to the world. Um, so tell us a little bit more about uh, what happens after you've worked with somebody. Tell us more about what you see, what the client experiences as a change, as a benefit from receiving this work from you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, they would see more flexibility and resilience in their um, in how they're moving in the world. And um, so their symptoms would gradually decrease, although that might be one of the sort of... Um, you know, things that happens down the road, but they would start to feel uh, more strength of their um, of their body, more strength in their body and just more connectedness, uh, like a, a feeling of health and vitality and wholeness is what 
would happen. But as I said before, it might show up in different ways for like, different people. So the, are these some of the, the ways that it could show up? They move their body physically with more ease. Mm-hmm. They could have less pain. Mm-hmm. They uh, Disease and disorder, could it disappear? I believe it could. I mean, some of these people that I've been working with recently with, uh, you know, the who are premature infants and have some stuff that looks neurological. Yeah. But um, when you start to work with them, the symptoms do decrease. Now, I haven't brought someone so that they're kind of would say they're 100% well, but I would say, but they also probably would say, say they've never experienced 100% wellness so we don't even know where we're headed like we don't know what the ceiling is kind of thing they don't know what it looks like yeah so that's very exciting they're still improving they're still getting better um yeah so I'm still curious about um the the nervous system from birth and what we can share with the audience like what are some tools that we can give parents caregivers, adults of children, like what are some practical tools? Mm. You know, we can go to a practitioner like yourself. What are some in-home tools that we can give uh, to our listeners? Mm. Um, Is it like more hugs, Mm -hmm. hugging the child more, more eye contact, uh, holding an infant Mm. longer? Tell me more what you think. Well, first of all, what what comes to my mind is just being more of a community for each other and just caring for for each other um, more, <laughs> even on the street. Um, mm. No, that doesn't really answer your question, but I think the more that we can build a, a community, um, a sense of community with our neighbors and with with those, anybody that we run into. Um, well, can I just interrupt you for yeah. a moment? <laughs> so I did this once. I was sitting on the corner here taking a break, and I sat down and uh was enjoying the the evening and uh, sitting beside this man, a homeless man who came up and cracked open a beer and he was chatting with me. And I thought, you know, I'm going to I'm going to connect with this man. Mm. Right. He's homeless. uh, He's harmless. And, you know, we chatted for a while and somehow he thought that he could kiss me. So, <laughs> so sometimes we, you know, we feel safe enough to to build that community and it goes wrong. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that took the social engagement. I was going to talk about the social engagement system, but okay. it took it a little bit too far. And I'll just say quickly. Yeah, talk about social as, um, engagement. Well, social engagement is another way that we can kind of bring a nuanced um, flexibility into the nervous system. It's also, it is the ventral vagal system when we're talking about the polyvagal theory and so things like singing chanting laughing um I mean even cold showers apparently but I'm not going to necessarily recommend that but those things um bring a a deeper actually a deeper exhale than inhale Mm. those things all engage the ventral vagal system which helps also to kind of move us into a more into homeostasis and towards health Um, as far as a parent I would say build your community and find um, find support so that you can be as healthy as you can be to um, love up your child and then just to be able to contain the space when the child's old enough to come to you with their heartaches 
um, know that they can handle it if you stay with them, if with yourself. And I think it's really important to learn to kind of stay with yourself as the child gets older. So self-regulate yeah. yourself so you can be yeah. present for yeah. whatever your child is going yeah. through. Okay. And to hold to hold your infant, you know, and depending on the, the challenges that the infant has, the touch and the cooing to the baby and the eye gaze, these are all ways that we really build our social engagement system and come into a more better self-regulation is that initial touch and eye gaze and holding and safety that the mother and the family and the caregivers provide. So any way that you can make that happen. So when you say self-regulation, you're talking about managing the internal sensations, the internal emotions? Yeah, in a sense, and being able to manage what comes to us from the external as well. So good self-regulation really is that that you have a pretty big window of tolerance, which can come your way, and that you your system kind of has these activation-deactivation cycles, but you're moving within a range where... Um, you're still full of life and you're vital and healthy and you have good relationships and you can handle things, even if something difficult comes along. So your capacities can, aren't compromised. That's right. So yeah. you can still go through these cycles, mm-hmm. but they're not compromising your level of functioning. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And then when they are compromised, um, that's when things kind of go awry inside mm-hmm. the body, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Kirsten, um, just what what's one thing you would like to share with the audience as we finish up with Trauma Talk today? I guess what I want to share is that I believe our bodies were given for pleasure and delight and connection. And I know from my own personal journey with this work that that is a possibility. And um, I just wish that for everybody, uh, that we can, that each one of you can have health, and connection and vitality. And I love that word possibility uh, because there are infinite possibilities. Sometimes we can't see them um, when, when our, our functioning is compromised. Um, so I'm going to leave the audience with that. Uh, what is possible beyond what we already have, what we already know, what we think already, already limits us? Uh, what's beyond that? What else is possible, as Gary Douglas would say, from Access Consciousness and Dr. Dane here. Um, So thank you for tuning in to Trauma Talk, and thank you very much, uh, Kirsten. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. It's just so much information that we're trying to deliver, and it's exciting. Mm -hmm. And And you gave us some tips, so thank you so very much. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you for listening to Trauma Talk with Ezrina Rose Scott. Be sure to tune in to the program again next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we speak again, make this week your best.